Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. So today, we're going to start off talking about a guy you may have heard of named Warren Buffett. And uh, their annual event, Berkshire Hathaway's annual event, was a little bit different this year, given COVID. And it was really just uh, Warren and three of his other main uh, executives giving um, a four or five hour kind of annual report update and then just taking questions. And so there's a, there's a few th- topics he touched on, which we're going to listen into. Uh, you're then going to get my thoughts on it. And you know, these are the areas related to modern monopolies. And Buffett has uh, invested in one modern monopoly, and that is Apple. It took him till about 2016 to do this. We have talked about it on the show. He has talked about it for years that, you know, these new kind of tech business models that didn't make money and he just didn't understand the business model. He alludes to that more today. But there's some interesting thoughts that they share around Apple, around tech monopolies, him and Charlie Munger around interest rates and where they're going, uh, you know, uh, QE, monetary theory, all things that we talk a lot about on the show. And what's really interesting is listening to uh, Buffett and Munger, you know, kind of the epitome of who you would classify as a traditional incumbent. Very traditional enterprises uh, are, are inside of Berkshire Hathaway, from everything from you know, Burlington Northern, uh, one of the largest, if not maybe the largest uh, railroad in the United States to Seize Candies, who you'll see uh, on the stage that they have to, you know, a variety of other uh, businesses that they own outright. And then they also invest and own shares in other businesses and, and things like that also. So let's jump in. What Buffett starts, what, what he talks about in the beginning, I'm going to kind of go in the reverse order is first he puts up a list of here are the top 30 companies by market cap as of March 31st, 2021. Guess what? There's a lot of platforms on that list. And then what he does is he says, well, here is the list of the 20 largest companies by market cap in 1989. And and that's what I've got up here. But what I would like you to do is look at that list for a minute or two, if you want to, and and then make an estimate, make your own guess. How many of those companies are going to be on the list 30 years from now? Here they are, these powerhouses. And how many would you guess are going to be on the list? Well, you know, it's not going to be all 20. It may not even be all 20 today or tomorrow. <laughs> uh, uh, this was March 31st. Uh, but what would you guess? And think about that yourself. Would you put on five, eight? Well, whatever it would be, I would now invite you to look at slide two, or L2, which goes back a little more than 30 years, and look at the top 20 from 1989. And if you look at the top 20 from 1989, there's two things that we should grab your interest, at least two. None of the 20 
from 30 years ago are on the present list. None. Zero. It, uh, there were then six U.S. companies on the list, and their names are familiar to you. It, uh, uh, we have uh, General Electric, we have Exxon, we have IBM Corp. I mean, these are, they're still around. Uh, Merck has done there at number None made it to the list 30 years later, zero. And I would guess that very few of you, when I asked you to play the quiz a little, a few minutes ago would have put down zero. And I don't think it will be zero. But it is a reminder of what extraordinary things uh, can happen. Let's look at this list. He's talking about equity. It tells you something about equity. To me, you know what it tells me about? Platform business models and modern monopolies. Who's at the top of the list? Apple, clearly a monopoly. Actually, Apple was just labeled a monopoly by the EU and Russia. Uh, Apple fined $12 million by Russian regulator over App Store monopoly abuse. Um, EU rules Apple a monopoly. EU to charge Apple with anti-competitive behavior. And the charges relate to a complaint brought, by, brought two years ago by Spotify. And Apple doing what? Vertically integrating, favoring its own apps, its own services, Apple Music, over a third party's, right? So what we say a million times on the show, when platforms become monopolistic, who do they take advantage of? It's not the consumer, it's the producer. In this case, Spotify and other app developers. We, we spoke a couple episodes ago about Tile and, and Apple preventing Tile from getting access to certain APIs and then launching their own literally replica of Tile. And guess what? They gave their own competitor, their own version of it, access to those same APIs. Hmm. So you can see, right, it's that vertical integration is, is, a, is, a, is a prime uh, area where monopolies get into trouble, platform monopolies get into trouble. It's what Microsoft got in trouble for in the 90s was favoring Internet Explorer over other third-party apps um, in the world of Internet browsers, right? Let's go back to this. You got Apple at the top of the list, platform. Number three, Microsoft. I mean, Saudi Aramco is basically Saudi Arabia. Buffett even makes the same joke. Amazon, platform. Alphabet, platform. Facebook, platform. Tencent, platform. Tesla, not a platform, but started by a guy who co-founded PayPal, and that's a platform. Alibaba, platform. Berkshire Hathaway, definitely not a platform. Taiwan Semiconductor, not a platform. Visa platform in Plat. All these companies are in Plat that I've listed as platforms. Visa is actually one of the oldest platform uh, platforms and platform monopolies. Uh, Visa and Mastercard both in Plat, both platform payment platform businesses. J.P. Morgan Chase not a platform. Johnson Johnson not a platform. Um, Samsung Electronics not a platform, but certainly has tried to become a platform. They tried to do their Tizen operating system. They tried to launch their own operating system um, to become a development platform play. They've tried multiple different platform initiatives. They've all failed so far, but they have certainly tried. This uh, Muay Thai company, I didn't know what this thing was. I had to look it up. They make Baiju, which is a which it's a liquor company, and 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 Baiju is super super famous and and consumed a lot of in China. Um, Walmart, not in Plat, but certainly has a strong up and coming platform business with Walmart Marketplace, 
We have chronologued Walmart's journey for years on the show. So soon to be an official platform, but not platform yet, just because they have so much linear scale in other parts of the business and they haven't fully disclosed um, how big Walmart Marketplace has gotten. But I would say certainly in the somewhat near future, Walmart will probably be in plat as they disclose more, as they hit certain uh, milestones with Walmart Marketplace. But they're on the journey. MasterCard platform. United Health, interesting, you know, insurance companies, you kind of say there's some platform dynamics there. It's not a platform, but there are some similar platform similarities, but it's not a platform business. LVMH, uh, not a platform. Seven of the top 10 are platform businesses. Um, not Tesla, although they could also do a, a platform play in the future, making a development platform out of the car would not rule out Tesla either. You got Saudi Aramco, Tesla, and Berkshire, not platforms. So 70% of the top 10 companies by market cap as of March 31st are platform businesses. Strike that are modern monopolies. Nine of the 20 are platform businesses. And Tesla could be a platform eventually. Walmart already has a strong up and coming platform business, but it's not in plat yet. And Samsung has tried a bunch of myriad of times to become a platform and has failed, but I assume they will keep trying. So this to me is what's really interesting when you look at these top 20 is look at what the show is about, right? Traditional versus tech monopolies. It's really over the past 30 years, particularly the past 20 years that the platform business model has, uh, risen to a point of dominance and become the, the dominant business model of the 21st century economy. I get that right. What it takes to dominate the 21st century economy, the platform business model. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, let's jump down to um, him talking about Apple. And I was just on Bloomberg uh, this past week talking about Amazon's earnings. And, you know, of the top five of FAMGA, uh, of, so of these top five U.S. tech monopoly stocks, which are now the top six comprised, you know, the top six companies by market cap, my favorite is for growth, stock price and relative value is another thing. But my favorite for growth, poised for growth is Amazon. My least favorite for growth is Apple. We're going to talk about why. This question comes from Vittorio Aguici from Switzerland, who writes in, why in the recent past did Berkshire sell some of the common stocks owned on Apple? If the company is considered Berkshire's fourth jewel, why didn't Berkshire buy more of Apple stocks in 2020? This seems to be counterintuitive. Well, we have 5.3% or something like that now. It's gone up in the first quarter because we bought in our shares, which helps our own shareholders expand their interest in Apple indirectly without laying out a penny. And then Apple's repurchased its shares and just announced another repurchase program. So uh, let's say uh, we, we look at Apple as a business that we own 5.3%. Now we've got, it's, it's a marketable security, so it shows up as uh, way greater than any other marketable security we have. But of course, if you look at our railroad we mentioned, uh, well, Union Pacific is selling for about $150 billion in the market, and we own one that's a little larger than the Union Pacific and making a little less money, but not, not much less. So it, it, it's, uh, 
it's a it's an extraordinarily apple. It's got it's got a fantastic manager. Tim Cook was underappreciated for a while. He's he's one of the best managers in the in the world, and I've seen a lot of managers. And he's got a product that people absolutely love. And and uh, uh, there's an installed base of people, and they get satisfaction rates of 99 percent. And I get the figures from the furniture mart as to what's being sold, and if people come in and they want an Android phone, they want an Android phone. If they if they want Apple, they want an Apple phone. You can't sell them the other one. I mean, it, it, the the brand <coughs> and the product is is it's an incredible product. It's a huge huge bargain uh, to people. I mean, the, the part it plays in their lives is huge. I use it as a phone, but I'm probably the only guy in the country. You know, maybe some descendant of Alexander Graham Bell's doing the same thing, but. Uh, it is indispensable to people, and you know it costs. You know, car costs thirty-five thousand dollars, and I'm, I'm sure with some people, if you asked them whether they wanted to give up, had to give up their their uh, Apple or give up the give up their car, you know, and really make the choice for the next five years. You know, who knows what they do? But it it is it, and we we you know we got a chance to buy it, and I. Uh, I sold some stock last year, although our shareholders still had their percentage interest go up because we repurchased shares. But that was that was probably a mistake. In fact, I, I had Charlie, in, in his usual low-key way, uh, let me know that, that you thought it was a mistake too, didn't Charlie? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I could only do so many things that I could get away with with Charlie, and I kind of used them up between Costco and Apple. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, and it, um, incidentally, he probably, uh, um, well, he very likely was right in both circumstances. It's, it's an extraordinary business. It's an extraordinary business. It's either Apple or Google. People love their iPhones. He clearly understands now. It took him many years to understand, but now he clearly understands, he being Warren Buffett, that the reason why the decision remains only Apple and Google and not Apple, Google, and Samsung, right? To my point earlier, Samsung has tried to launch their own operating system many times. They've sunk probably at this point hundreds of millions of dollars into getting this thing going. We've seen the Chinese um, Huawei, you know, rattle their saber. It, probably the initiative is still going. Try to say, we want to create a rival operating system to Android. Uh, when when the the U.S. shut off, um, you know, U.S. companies from working with Huawei, that effectively killed Huawei's smartphone business. We called it on the show. The news media did not call it. Um, it was obvious to us if Android is cutting off access to Huawei's phones, the phones are dead in the water. The news media refused to call that out, and 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 instead peddled. Huawei's position, which was that they were going to launch a, they'd already been working on a competitive operating system and all was going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely not. The only reason why this decision stays Apple and Google, and Buffett understands this, is because there's a winner-take-all dynamic. And that winner-take-all dynamic is because you've got millions of app developers, and app developers are only going to make apps for 
at most two operating systems. Some just do Apple and, and, and there's actually a pretty good delay until they make their Android app. So because the choice is just two, it's a pretty big deal. Now, Apple does do a very good job with its product, but what he's not talking about is where's the growth going to come from? If anything, the app stores are cutting their commissions, right? They're going from 30% commission down to 15% commission. The app stores are actually cutting their revenue they're taking from a lot of the app developers. And there's no business model innovation with Apple. At least there's much more business model innovation with Google. Um, But Apple, to me, to Buffett's point, Tim Cook, amazing manager, not an innovator. Not, if you look at what Jeff Bezos installed as his successor, not an Andy Jassy. Andy Jassy is an innovator. And what Buffett, these guys are about to use the word is creator. These companies are growth stocks. And Apple got a lot of wind in its sail from COVID. Will they be able to stick up to expectations as it relates to growth when they don't have their, their platform conglomerate status leaves a lot to be desired? In his own way, it's a different way, but t- Tim Cook is, we, we see a lot of managers of a lot of businesses, and you're looking at two great ones on the, both ends here. Uh, he's handled that business so well, he couldn't do what Steve Jobs obviously could do in terms of, of creation. Yeah, that's an issue. The guy's a good manager. Steve Jobs left him a tray filled with gold eggs. And, he's, and he said, here you go, Tim. Don't screw it up. Now, Tim has done a great job managing and growing the business, making incremental steps with existing products and existing businesses that were left over to him. Apple services is not a thing, right? They bought Beats, you know, they, they're doing Apple Music. Um, now, if anything, doing Apple Music is just getting them um, in the crosshairs of the regulators because they've competed unfairly with Spotify. So, yeah, actually, I wouldn't give Tim Cook as high remarks as Buffett is. You need someone that is creating and innovating. You can't just have a manager operate and incrementally grow the existing thing in these high growth businesses. It's eventually the market will not value and the, and, and the, and the company will not receive the multiples um, that it has today because those multiples are based on one thing, ultra high growth. I don't, uh, but Steve Jobs couldn't really, I don't think do what Tim Cook has done in, in many respects. What kind of statement is this? That's a ridiculous statement. Tim, Steve Jobs hired Tim Cook to run the business. And Steve Jobs went on to create amazing products and amazing platform businesses. And then he hired Tim Cook and had Tim, Tim Cook run the show. So kind of it being like, like a feather in Tim's hat that Steve Jobs couldn't do what he did. The problem for for Tim Cook is that he has failed to find a creator, right? So if if Tim Cook was such a good manager, and okay, fine, he's a manager. 
he's not Steve Jobs, right? Just like Steve Jobs is not Tim Cook. Thanks, Warren Buffett. Brilliant. What Tim Cook needs to then do is find a leader who is a creator, who is an innovator, who is going to push and fail, and then hopefully get some big wins. Where is that? Where is that leadership? Where is that recognition that Tim Cook, you know what? You actually don't have the whole thing figured out. And you're actually not doing such a great job when you look at the business over the long term as opposed to quarterly results. When you look at the former thing, true long-term value creation, don't think Tim Cook's doing a good job at all. Quarterly results, guy's doing a great job. Long-term value creation, horrible job. Well, I also think it's clear that that list you showed of the leading American companies, it's been a very important for America that we've done so well in this new tech field. New tech field. Okay. For avid listeners of the show, this might be the point where you want to cover your ears because you're going to cringe. And I personally would not like to see our present giants brought down to some low level by some anti-competitive reasonings. So what did he say there? Because he mumbled. I would not like to see our tech giants brought down to some low level by some anti-competitive reasons or measures. Okay. Why is that, Charlie? I don't think they're doing a lot of harm anti-competitively. I don't think they're doing a lot of harm anti-competitively, he says. Hmm. Interesting. I think they're a credit to the Americans, credit to our civilization. Yeah, and, they're, and they're huge. And they're huge, and that's good for us. Come on, guys. Come on. I mean, really? Really? I don't think they're really doing anything anti-competitively. I don't see any issues with giant tech monopoly. This, the funny thing about this, this is Facebook's argument to not hurt U.S. tech monopolies because you will hurt U.S. tech monopolies abroad, right? U.S. ability to project power and influence abroad because these U.S. tech monopolies clearly have right spread across the globe. That's a valid uh, reason to not want to regulate the U.S. companies. But the statement, which is patently false, is that they aren't doing anything unfairly in an anti-competitive light. And the funny thing about this is this literally like three days after they held this, uh, you know, shareholder meeting, the EU comes out um, against what Apple did, the one platform monopoly that, that they, Berkshire Hathaway, owns about what Apple did with Spotify and Russia. And there are a myriad of stories, whether it's Apple, Amazon, Google, and how they are competing unfairly because they're vertically integrated. The other two that I left off the list, Facebook and Microsoft, Facebook really doesn't vertically integrate if you think about it. Now, Facebook has a lot of issues taking advantage of producers, just like Google does when they silence around content moderation and content censorship, rather. It's not moderation, it's censorship. And it violates all of our free speech rights. And it's not okay. So that's a separate transgression. But the vertical integration, does, you know, Facebook doesn't really do it. And Microsoft doesn't really do it anymore. Um, they are somewhat bleeding into some areas there. But if, from back in their um, 
you know, they learned their lesson basically 20, 25 years ago now. It's really Apple and, and, and Amazon does it the worst, followed by, you know, Google followed by Apple, but all three of them have vertically integrated and are using the power of their platform, which they own and control, to give their vertically integrated businesses an unfair advantage against the third-party producers. And the reason why it's an unfair advantage is because they are a monopoly, right? If they were not a monopoly, but they just had a strong platform business um, and, and they were vertically integrated and they gave their own apps or their own products, right? A competitive advantage. Um, then that word unfair starts to fade away, right? The reason why it's unfair is because they have monopoly power. And when you have monopoly power, the rules should be different. Right now, the rules are not different. And Charlie wants it to say that way because he doesn't see any wrongdoing, which is very convenient for him, by the way. But he's wrong. He's a thousand percent wrong. And you know, frankly, these guys, self-admitted, they're not platform experts. They have said it a million times. They don't really understand these businesses. And boy, I'll tell you, this press, this press conference certainly reaffirms that self-admitted point of view about their own platform expertise or lack thereof. Well, let me have a, ask a follow-up question on that then. This comes from Jack Sang, who says, what's your mindset when you see so many of these high flyers, not the GME or meme stocks, but more like the big tech growth stocks gaining 50%, 100%, 200%, et cetera, in a matter of a year or less? I know you eventually bought Apple in 2016 because of the quality of their businesses and their management. How do you assess if these high flyers are worthy of your investment, given this crazy high valuations that muddy the waters? Well, we don't think they're crazy. <laughs> the, uh, but we don't, at least I, I, Charlie, I, I feel uh, that I understand Apple and its future with consumers around the world uh, better than I understand some of the others. But I don't regard uh, prices, and that gets back uh, well, it gets, it, it, it gets back to something fundamental in investments. I mean, uh, interest rates, you know, basically are to, uh, to uh, the value of assets what gravity is to matter, you know, essentially. That makes sense. So they're inversely related. So when interest rates go down, stock prices go up. When I guess his analogy is when gravity goes down, matter goes up. So there you go. Your Wall Street Journal down a little corner next to the last page in my paper. In the, in the very bottom corner, uh, the, here it is, the results of the Treasury auction. A little tiny thing. Uh, they sold four, they had applications on the, on the four-week Treasury bill for a hundred and some billion. They accepted bids for 40, 43 billion worth. And it says average, average price, 100.0000000, six zeros. And essentially, 
people were giving 40 some billion dollars to the Treasury, and they offered to give 130 billion or something, whatever the amount tendered. And the Treasury received the money at zero. Uh, and Janet Yellen has talked a couple of times about the reduced carrying cost of the debt. Uh, and the, I think in the last fiscal quarter, the U.S. Treasury, which uh, the U.S. government, which owes a few billion, few trillion dollars, I should say. <laughs> Keyword, few trillion would be way low. It's over 26 trillion. Um, but he said a few trillion, you know, over a few years ago. That's also grossly underestimated. We, we have added trillions of dollars to our debt just in the past few months, let alone even more than that in the past year. Their interest expense was down 8%. So you've had this incredible reduction. They said our interest expense for the government has gone down 8% because interest rates have gone down to basically nothing. Incredible reduction in the so-called super risk-free uh, group, the short-term treasury bill. And that is the yardstick against which other values are, are, are measured. I mean, if, if, if I could reduce gravity's pull by about 80%, I mean, I'd be in the Tokyo Olympics uh, jumping. <laughs> and essentially, if interest rates were 10%, valuations are much different. So you've had this incredible... Get it? If gravity goes to zero, Warren Buffett's on the moon. When interest rates go to zero, where do stocks go? Mars. We had this incredible uh, change in the valuation of everything that produces money because the risk-free rate produces really short enough right now, nothing. Berkshire Hathaway, which had a, has more than this, but let's say we had $100 billion in, in treasury bills. We have more than that. Before the bad epidemic, uh, pandemic, we were getting about a billion and a half from that a year. At present rates, if it's two basis points, we'd get 20 million. Imagine your, your wages going from $15 an hour to 20 cents an hour or something. Uh, it, it's been a sea change. And it was designed to be that. I mean, it was, uh, that's why the Fed moved the way they did. They wanted to give a massive push, just like Mario Draghi did in Europe in whenever it was, 2012, when he says, whatever it takes. And they, they went to negative rates. And uh, Fed has said it doesn't want to go to negative rates. And I think the Treasury actually has got some small bar. But, but if, you, if present rates were destined to be appropriate, if, if the 10 years should really be at the price it is, those companies that the fellow mentioned in this question, they're, they're, they're bargaining. I mean, they, they have the ability to deliver cash. Pretty big if there, okay? Make sure you catch that if. If interest rates stay at basically nothing, then the valuation of these tech stocks is a bargain, says Warren Buffett. Big if. Well, what happens if interest rates don't stay at zero? He doesn't touch on that, but I'm about to. Let's finish out what he has to say. If you discount it back uh, and you're discounting at present interest rates, stocks are very, very cheap. Now the question is what interest rates do over time. He doesn't tell us what he thinks is going to happen with interest rates. I think the modern monetary 
theorists are more confident than they ought to be, too. I don't think we any of us know what's going to happen to this stuff. I do think there's a good chance that that this extreme conduct is more feasible than everybody thought. But I do know if you keep just doing it without any limit, it will end in disaster. Buffett rambled on. Munger cut to the chase. Let me rewind that just those few seconds here, okay? That this extreme conduct is more feasible than everybody thought. But I do know if you keep just doing it without any limit, it will end in disaster. It will end in disaster. It is not sustainable. Munger says, we got away with more than we thought we could get away with. But if we keep doing this, which we are keeping to do it, and we will keep doing it, and what is it? Printing money, getting more deficit, QE, quantitative easing, flooding the money supply, interest rates at nothing. It's not sustainable. The funny thing is, remember that chart back in the beginning of, of, uh, of, of today's episode, Buffett was showing the top 20 companies in 89, and there's a bunch of Japanese companies on there. There's a really good, there's a really good documentary, Princes of the Yen. I highly recommend that you all go watch this documentary. And you got to remember, in the, in the late 80s, Japan was printing money. Their federal, their central bank was printing, 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 printing. And so same kind of thing, right? What, what did Buffett say? When interest rates go down to nothing, when gravity goes to nothing, everything goes to the moon. What do you think happened to Japan's economy in the late 80s when the bank was just pushing, pushing, pushing? Here's, here's infinite money. Go, 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 go. Stocks went up, 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 up. That was the late 80s. That was the kind of, you know, the, the, the list that Buffett showed. And then what happened after? They stopped doing QE. They started to rein in the money supply. They started to raise interest. A devastating, devastating economic collapse. That's what happened to Japan. Highly recommend. Go watch this documentary. It's free. Princes of the Yen. Really interesting just about the power of the central bank um, with a recurring theme of, you know, what, what the central bank in Japan did um, over this period of time is uh, maybe a couple decades here. So really interesting story and very prescient to what's going on today. So I think that's really interesting. Uh, also a bit here. Uh, guys, there were some uh, pretty interesting comments yesterday from Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman Charlie Munger. He sounded the alarm on the SPAC craze at yesterday's virtual annual meeting for the Daily Journal. I don't participate at all, and I think the world would be better off without them. I think this kind of crazy speculation in enterprises not even found or picked out yet is a sign of, of uh, uh, an irritating bubble. It's just that the investment banking profession will sell as long as can be sold. Robin Hood trades are not free. When you pay for order flow, you're, you're probably charging your customers more and pretending to be free. It's a very dishonorable, low-grade way to talk. And, and nobody should believe that Robin Hood's trades are free. I love that side of Munger. Those are spot on. 
SPAC stuff is, is, is insane. And we've, we've talked about on the show, Robin hood is not free and they, uh, you know, they just, uh, have trouble really telling the truth these days in more ways than one. Um, so last bit today is Elon Musk has been invited to go on SNL and great piece recently. I thought this was hilarious. SNL cast won't be forced to appear with controversial host Elon Musk. The controversial billionaire is now uh, how Elon is being described. He's supposed to go on SNL on May 8th. There's been uh, cast members of SNL that are, you know, uh, um, tweeting that they're disgruntled that Elon is coming on the show. They're not happy about it. They might not want to come on. Miley Cyrus has been blasted for signing up to perform through the musical right uh on on the episode that that musk is going to be on after some fans claimed online that he is quote destroying the planet <laughs> you can't make it up the guy literally creates the world's first electric car company to save the planet and then he creates a rocket company to save humanity not to mention a few other things along the way paypal platform, boring company, Starlink that we've covered on the show, giving internet to people that, you know, are in rural areas, very disconnected areas um, through his kind of low orbit network of satellites. The guy is amazing. And um, it's a shame to, to see how uh, the cast of SNL is reacting to this. Musk is a legend, not to mention the first or second richest guy on the planet has invented electric cars despite all odds, despite every single person being against him, despite all the incumbent car companies uh, betting against him and, and willingly trying to subvert his efforts. He still figures it out. The guy is a legend. I don't normally watch SNL, but I will be watching Elon uh, on SNL. That is for sure. And the guy is quirky. Like he names his kid something that you can't even pronounce. But you know what? Everyone's a little weird. Including Elon, including me, including all of you. Nothing wrong with that. Elon's a legend. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. I will talk to you soon.